It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals post-game edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports comments and editor with Rick Broering. After the Bengals rallied from 21-3 down, survived a late Chiefs drive that ended in a field goal to force overtime, survived Patrick Mahomes having the football first in the overtime, the rule I like and Rick doesn't, um, and then coming up with an interception and going and kicking the winning field goal to go to the Super Bowl. Rick, this is silly. I mean, it's silly, right? It's unbelievable. It's there. It's really hard to find the words to explain what this is like. I mean, I don't want to be overly dramatic. We're not on the team or anything, but it's it's – just something I literally didn't think I would ever see during my lifetime at this point, considering, you know, it happened when I was two years old the last time. And it's been nothing even close to this every year and I, ever and, since. And, I, and I'm such an old man. I was a freshman in college when the freezer bowl happened. So there's that, Rick. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it just it, it, incredible how this team just keeps finding a way, especially in these late game situations where they're going toe to toe with the best. And, Skinny, regardless of what happens here and who they face in this Super Bowl, you have to think that's going to be an easier situation than what they just faced in the AFC Championship game at Arrowhead with those fans, with that crowd noise, going up against the best quarterback in the game right now. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl, but I'm saying they are not going to be faced with a tougher situation in the Super Bowl because there isn't one that exists in today's modern NFL. No, agreed. And especially falling down the way they fell down. And it looked like at the end of the half, which we'll get to all this, I'm, I'm sure. But at the end of the half looked like it was going to be 28 to 10. And the Chiefs get the ball to start the second half. And there was a real possibility, Rick. It was going to be 35 to 10 before the Bengals got the ball back again, right? I mean, the way that offense was rolling, um, the way the Bengals uh, were playing, basically, it really felt like, oh my gosh, when they get the ball, it's 35-10, night-night, and suddenly it wasn't any longer. And so the, the, the turnaround's fabulous. There's so many layers to this. The job that Lou Anarumo and his group did, the job that Joe Burrow did, um, the job that Zach Taylor do- has done. I mean, there's that too. I mean, there's so many layers to this, but that to me was just such a key stretch of the game of... I mean, they're knocking on the door, and they're about to score, and it's going to go 28-10, and you're going to go in the locker room figuring out how to how, how are you getting back from three, literally basically three touchdowns down. Oh, and by the way, they get the ball to start the second half, and they're rolling. It was almost like that stop made the Bengals go, we can stop them. And then they did, and there were adjustments throughout the game. Uh, you know, Lou Anarumo rushing three, dropping eight. There was the you know the stuff at the end of the the regulation. There's there there are literally so many layers. I'm you you host this podcast, babe. It's it, it's it's got my name on it, but you usually host it, and I just talk. And so I'm going to let you host away. But uh, there were just I, I, the the thing at the end of the half was silly. Well, yeah, that, I want to talk to you more about that because I thought that was the turning point of the game too. No it question. completely changed momentum. It seemed like it changed the Bengals' mindset of. Like you said, they, they felt like they could get a stop all of a sudden. And, and whether that's true or not, who knows? That's a storyline we're right. assigning to it. But it certainly felt that way. And the excitement that that brought getting that stop, it really did seem to just flip some momentum. And I was wondering, do you not think they should have kicked a field goal there? I don't. I think that Pat Mahomes should have made a better play. I uh, Apparently from the report from CBS was in, in the moment was that Andy Reid wanted to kick the field goal and Pat Mahomes said, give me one more play. And if I'm Andy Reid, I'm going to go, yep, I'm going to trust you for one more play, Pat. Because if you run something quick and Lord knows down by the goal line, it should be quick. Correct. You run something quick 
it's going to happen inside five seconds where you have a chance if it doesn't work to kick the field goal. And yet, Pat Mahomes, Super Bowl winning quarterback, one of the greatest of all time already, holds the ball, holds the ball, holds the ball, and goes, oh, here, Tyreek Hill, let me throw the flat to you, despite the fact you're bracketed by two guys and you're going to have to break two tackles to get in the end zone. I didn't think that was an Andy Reid problem. I thought that was more of a Patrick Mahomes problem. I didn't have a problem with them doing that. Well, I thought well, it was the right thing. They had no timeouts, correct? Right, yes. It's so, yeah, no, no so, yeah, right. So here's the thing. Unless you're planning on throwing an incomplete pass, you're not able to stop the clock. So if you complete anything and don't get into the end zone, right, there, which was, the time's which running be- out. Right, which I can't believe Pat Mahomes threw the ball inbounds to somebody. Yeah, well, I mean that that's that's a fair point, but I just I was shocked. I thought I thought you got to take the points right there and just you know it's it's eleven point game. Why not make it a, a full two touchdowns? Because I think they think they're cute. I think Andy Reid occasionally thinks we're just that much better. We can play with this, and we don't score. We'll be fine. I really do. And I'm not. I, listen, Andy Reid's a great coach, so I don't want this to be like a piss on Andy Reid contest, but. I thought the decision, if he if he wants his quarterback to take ownership, that's great. And Pat Mahomes, according to CBS at the time, the Tracy Wolfson sideline report was, hey, give me one more play. All right, Patrick, I'm going to give you one more play. But he's got to then be in the moment of, I got five seconds to get this off. It's either a quick slant or a quick fade or a quick this. It's not hold it, hold it, hold it. Oh, hey, Tyreek. There's two defenders out there. You're good enough to make two guys miss. No, you're not. I mean, they had him bracketed. He had no chance. Yeah, that that decision just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think I would have just kicked the field goal and gone ahead yeah, and taken the and fourteen point fa- lead and in the I, locker and that's room. Fair. But, I mean, I get yeah. I get your point of having Pat Mahomes back there. You want to give him that opportunity, and it's like you know you you trust him to make a play there. It didn't work out this time, but probably eight out of ten times that does work out for the Chiefs. And Andy Reid looks like a genius doing it, but that time it certainly didn't. And that was a big play for the Bengals. No, no question, especially no with doubt. the way the math worked out the rest of the game. And you you can always say, well. You know, things would have been different had the score been different, obviously, but it certainly made it easier on the Bengals that they were Rick, able to just get that field goal and then the touchdown and two-point conversion. Yeah, and I think you'll agree with this. I mean, if they score a touchdown, they're game over. I mean, it really is. At 28-10, you can, you can talk about all the, hey, still got a shot. Still got a, nah, game over. And I think that's what they thought. We'll get the knockout punch as opposed to uh, Patrick Mahomes making the right. He made a terrible play. He made terrible plays down the stretch of the fourth quarter, too, that we'll get to. He was not very good when he had to be, which is the most stunning thing of all in this game because he's great. Well, and and I said last week that, you know, you can't rely on Pat Mahomes to make the same mistakes that Ryan Tannehill made for you, where Ryan Tannehill really helped you out by giving you a few turnovers. I was wrong. Pat Mahomes did exactly that. And that was a big factor in this game and how the Bengals were able to get back in it, turn around and win it. Yeah. And and, I mean, we might as well jump to the end of regulation. And and I go back to some of that Andy Reid and, you know, the, I know the Bengals, the way they played that out, right. The first time around to, to win the game against the chiefs, it worked out in their favor. There were a couple of penalties. They were not questionable penalties, but there were a couple of penalties that helped all of those things. But that was the whole, not going to give any time left. We're going to score this and win it, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna kick the field goal to win, and we're not going to give you a chance. It felt like the Chiefs decided, well, we're going to kind of be cute here, and we got first and goal in the five, and we'll waste a little bit of time. You know what, Rick? And I'm going to tell this to any fan that keeps screaming about you scored too early. You never scored too early. Just score. And to the Bengals' credit, the defense was great, but I let the Chiefs run it twice, get it to a spot where it's third and goal with the well you could run it in for goodness they, they've been running it pretty effectively all day and instead the Bengals just decide to play coverage coverage get a sack 
And then the last one was Sam Hubbard's playing spy on, on Mahomes. And then he decides, well, I'm done spying. I'm going to come get you. And he runs in and gets him and sacks him and gets the strip, strip sacked and almost ended I mean, the game almost, right there. It, yeah, he almost won it right there. Could you imagine uh, what a play for Sam? It was a massive play regardless. You go back-to-back yes, sacks correct, in that moment. Correct. I mean, what I mean, it made a long incredible field play goal. for the hometown kid. But had he just ended the game right there and they recovered that fumble somehow, what a unbelievable play that would have been. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, you're right. Like, what were the Chiefs doing there? It's like they just completely took their foot off the gas, tried to get cute and run out the clock instead of just punching it in the end zone, and they end up having to, to kick a field goal and force it into overtime from 44 yards out. Yeah, and and maybe he was afraid of Burrow with one whatever time it is, one forty, and um, I'm sure that he point, was. That's fair, but like, but, you but said. That, that's fair. But they had to score a touchdown, Rick. They didn't have to kick. The Bengals had to go the distance with no timeouts and score a touchdown. What are right. you doing? Which is great for the Bengals. Good. I'm glad it worked out that way. But what are you doing, Kansas City? That's a veteran coach and a veteran quarterback that absolutely mucked up the moment, and they got to an answer for that in Kansas City for sure. Well, and there are so many big plays by the defense. I want to get to more specifics, yep. but the play in overtime that won the game, essentially Jesse Bates deflecting the pass and Von Bell picking it off at the Cincinnati 45 in overtime after the Chiefs had won the coin flip. That wonderful, wonderful rule that I we talked about me liking so much this past <laughs> week on our podcast. Not <laughs> uh I mean, this defense has been opportunistic and coming up with big plays the entire playoffs. It's really been one of the biggest storylines for the Bengals yep. during this run. And once again, they win the game in that fashion. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I thought some of this game in the second half especially was was – Patrick Mahomes not being patient, which is crazy because I thought the first three drives, he was really patient. He did throw the deep ball to McCole Hardman, which was a beautiful throw, but I thought that they were really patient those first three drives, and then he got away from patience. And so then when I see the third and 10 throw, right, you see it in real time, you're like, oh, there's got to be somebody open because he's not going to sling it on third and 10 that far down the field without somebody being wide open. And you look up and you go, wait a minute, he's bracketed. And then you see the ball get tipped. And honestly, I, I thought the ball hit the ground. I honestly thought half kiddingly, I thought the ball hit the ground. I, it was hard to see in real time how quickly that happened that you all of a sudden realize, oh my gosh, no, it didn't hit the ground. That's a ricochet interception. And then now you're at the 45 where you're about a first down and a half away from Evan McPherson field goal range. So yeah, I mean, that was a great play by Bates, great play by Von Bell. But it, honestly, I hate to do this because I don't want to you know, urinate on the Bengals win. That was a dumb throw by Mahomes. Just dumb. Well, it's not what you expect out of Pat. Right. Mahomes, that's for sure. He's so good in those moments. And Joe Burrow said it this week. You usually don't beat that guy when you lose the coin flip to him or, or however <laughs> right. he phrased it. Right. You know, I mean, right. and that's the truth. That throw did not make a lot of sense. But again, those were the types of plays that at times, this team couldn't seem to come up with. You're no, thinking right. about all the drops this year in moments like that, where they could have won games had they been able to hold on to an interception. And uh, they've been so damn good at those situations in the playoffs. Yeah, no question. You know, how about the play by BJ Hill? Uh, you know, that, that was really the game changer. If yeah. you want to, I mean, the, the play quarter. was great, but, but yeah, the interception put them in a spot where, okay, game on going to tie this thing up. And they did. Yeah. 21, 13 late in the third quarter. Uh, Hill made that interception where, yeah, it really changed the game. That set up Jamar Chase's touchdown to tie it. And B.J. Hill, he's really been an important part of this Bengals yeah, defense. Is. That was a nice pickup. Yeah, no, I mean, for Billy Price, for Billy 
Price, you got that guy. And it wasn't just this moment. I mean, he's been a good pass rusher. He's uh he's been a good he's been a great rotational guy. And he I mean, he made a really good play on that one. He got he got his hands on it, batted it up in the air. Most linemen at that point will box it around and fumble it around and flub it around. And he kind of just calmly watched it pop up in the air, caught it at the 27 of the Chiefs, and now it's game long because now you're in a chance to tie the game, which they did. Yeah, he had five tackles, a quarterback hit. He really did a pretty nice and a half, job. And half a, a half a sack? Yeah, in the, in the second half against Pat Mahomes in general. The whole Bengals front did. I think that's the most impressive part of this game is the defensive performance. The, the Chiefs only get one sack in this game for all the talk about the Bengals' offensive line and their right. struggles and giving up the nine sacks the Bengals defense end up with four sacks in this one. We talked about Sam Hubbard's back-to-back sacks. Trey Hendrickson had a sack and a half and BJ Hill gets a half a sack. So uh, the, the Bengals defensive front did a really good job of getting to Pat Mahomes, putting some pressure on him, but not rushing past him and giving him all these lanes where he's going to kill you making plays out of, out of nothing, the broken plays, the scrambles out of pocket. They really kept him, in their sights and kept good contain on him and stayed very disciplined with their rush. Yeah. Until they had to get off the edge and get one. Cause Trey Hendrickson got a big one and Hubbard got a big yeah. one. And then got the second big one where that was a contained play. So no, I mean, you know, they, they score in the first three possessions, kind of like that first Bengals game, uh, the regular season matchup where they scored touchdowns on their first four possessions. And you're like, Oh my gosh, they're going to score 60 today. And today felt like the same way. Oh my gosh, they're going to score 50 today. And then, Literally six straight possessions without points, eight straight possessions without a touchdown. If you go to overtime, with that, that's incredible to me. I mean, that 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 tells me that to the credit of Lou Anarumo and to the guys on defense, they never wavered, they never flinched, they stuck to their plan. They changed their plan a little bit because there were some adjustments with the dropping eight and rushing three. Of all right. I'm going to see if you want to be this patient. You were patient against the rest of the stuff. Do you want to be patient when we rush three and, and drop eight? Do you want to run the football? And I think it was kind of the same way the first time around. I think we talked about this on the podcast during the week. Um, I, I was a little surprised that Kansas City got away from running the football first time around when they were having success. And today felt like the same. It was almost like, all right, Pat, keep making plays for us. Well, sometimes you can't because the defense is dictating you better do something different. And that's where I go back to credit to the Bengals coaching staff and shame on Andy Reid and his staff and shame on Pat Mahomes for not being patient, which is great for the Bengals. Yeah, we had talked in the middle of the week about if the Bengals were to win the game, it felt like it was going to be one of those shootout type games where it was going to be way up in the 30s or maybe even the 40s and go back and forth. It didn't seem like, you know, not not that this wasn't a decent amount of points because you're over a, a total of 50, but this wasn't the classic shootout. I wouldn't say it was more, uh, the Bengals got behind and then had to play catch up And the defense, got a bunch of stops in the second half. And they really won with their defense in a lot of ways. I mean, you, you had to have enough offense to catch back up, but really you got no shot normally when you're trailing the chiefs by multiple touchdowns against that offense, because they're going to continue to pile it on against you. And somehow the Bengals found a way in the second half of this one, the the two quarterbacks had pretty similar statistics. Mahomes was 26 of 39 for 275 yards, three TDs, two interceptions. And Joe Burrow was 23 of 38, 250 yards with two TDs and an interception. So, you know, neither one of them really lit it up, but the Bengals just had those, few key plays that changed the game and and a lot of it had to do with the turnovers yeah and and there's no question about that so um you you know when when you look back at this 
I can I can I can make the argument that that Kansas City lost the game as much as the Bengals won the game, but I can also make make the argument that the Bengals found a way to win the game because of adjustments adjustments they made, and because of the fact that, um, you know, I was one that was fussing on Twitter. I'm sure you fussed as well about Zach Taylor running the ball on first down so much. Well, maybe that the plan was let's just hang around. We're not going to beat them at their game. Let's beat them at our game, which is hey, maybe a first down run doesn't work. It runs some clock. It gets us, it, and it really didn't. It gets us into manageable second downs. And again, like I said, it really didn't. But I think for Zach Taylor, his plan was: I'm shortening the game. I'm limiting possessions. I'm going to do what we do, and they did that. It was it was fantastic. Yeah, there seems to be something about that with the Bengals, where they're almost like a boxer going into a match where they kind of want to just feel you out. They're not going to throw their punches right. early. They're not going to no, push themselves fine. out. It's like they want to see what what you got. How much are you going to show us here early? Let us get adjusted to it. We'll figure out a game plan to slow you down, and, and then we'll we'll take our shots here a little later on when you're a little more worn down and we've established a few things and set a few things up. But they've really kind of stuck to that all season for the most part. It's just been refined over time, and they they got it down here to the end of the season where that's worked really well for them. It's kind of been a similar game plan, it seems like, each game in the playoffs where – they get off to that somewhat slow start and they seem a little overly conservative and there's some weird early down runs where everyone's scratching their head going, why are they doing this when they've got Joe Burrow? And then all of a sudden late in the game, they turn it on and find a way. And so it's, it's just been kind of interesting to see how that's played out similarly in a lot of the games. And maybe again, credit to Zach Taylor for saying, this is the plan. I'm sticking to the plan. I know the plan isn't working at the moment. And if desperation time comes where I have to uh, escape from the plan, I'll escape from the plan. But, um, and, and that's hard to do, man, especially for a coach who doesn't have a ton of experience as a head coach. It, it would be easy to go, yeah, this isn't working. Oh my God, we're down 21 to three. Oh my God, it's time to panic. It's time to start slinging this thing around. And some of it is he doesn't trust the trust the, the, the offensive line to block, right? I get that. Some of that's what the running game is for is I'm not dropping this guy back on first down or whatever down as much as we need to uh, and exposing to more hits. So um, he's dealing from not a stack deck. And that's the funny part about this whole playoff ride, the Super Bowl ride. They're not a complete team, Rick. They're not even close. Yeah, although they're clearly much closer than any of us realize. Well, and I'm no not question. saying right. a no lot question. of this doesn't right. have to do with timing and who's playing hot at the right time and all of that. But you give a team an elite quarterback and yeah. you see how much of a difference that makes. And sometimes that's all it takes. I mean, think about some of the flawed teams that we've seen make runs when you look back at Tom Brady and some of those receiving cores that he carried through the playoffs, you know, and Pat Mahomes, even last year with his offensive line, offensive line, right. You know, I mean, there's been a lot of teams like that, where if you have an elite quarterback, you can overcome some of these holes and weaker links. And I think the, the Bengals are a perfect example of that this year. Yeah, they're not perfect, but few teams in the NFL are their offensive line is a major issue, but they shored up a lot of the other holes that they had and the weaknesses that they had to where it's really just the offensive line, if you're talking about what's really a weak point. There are some yep. other spots where they could get better for sure, but the offensive line is the only real weak point of this team now. Right, and and I think that's that's where I really thought this was going to be a loss, and you and I both predicted that, not in a big way. We thought there was a fighting chance, and you even said, I, I can't believe, I, I shouldn't bet against Joe Burrow, and, and that's the right thought process. But yeah, I thought this team was like an offensive line away after watching all of this and going, all right, you got yourself an offseason to fix that, and that's fine. I'm good with what you've done. And yet they've even masked that. I mean, keep in mind in this game, 
They decided at right guard, we don't got to fix. Hakeem Adeniji yanked Jackson Carmen in. Jackson Carmen yanked Hakeem Adeniji back in. And through all of that, I mean, I'm not sure I've seen how many times in a regular season game you yank offensive linemen. And they yanked their right guard twice. Yeah, I mean, consider all of that taking place and the team's going to the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, that's just, that's silly. And, yeah. you know, good, good for all of them. Look, and they're going to run into some problems in the Super Bowl against either team that they face in terms of pass rush and how well that yeah, offensive line yeah. holds up. But do you know what? We've been saying that every right. single week. That that is correct. And it and and again, I think it goes back to Joe Burrow. Um and I got to give credit where credit's due to Zach Taylor. Um I said it on the sports uh, actually on one of the sports casts on Sunday night on Local 12. Uh it wasn't the Sports Authority, it was actually I think the 10 o'clock. I taped a segment for them. Uh, where we talked about Zach, and I was one that wrote a column when he got hired that said it's an imperfect science picking an NFL head coach because usually you go to somebody's tree, right? The the Bill Belichick tree, which hasn't worked very well. Um, you know, the Marv Levy tree back in there. Whatever tree you want to go through, the, the Bill Walsh tree. Um, you go to these trees and you go, oh, that guy must come from a genius. He's got to be a genius too because he came from a genius. Well, that's usually not the way. So he comes from the Sean McVay tree. And Sean McVay's a great coach. And yet he has no offensive coordinator experience beyond a year at UC other than an interim student at the Dolphins. Really beyond UC where he was a failure and they were a failure. And yet they're, you're hiring this guy as a head coach. And I said, I think feels like he's he's missed a pay grade. He should be an offensive coordinator for a team for a few years before you give him this opportunity. And then the first two years look like, hey, I'm right, six twenty five and one. They're a disaster. And he keeps talking about culture and we're building something and we got care. And you go, okay, guy, sure, you can keep talking about all that stuff. But you know what? Mia culpa, bro. You got it right. You got out. Got rid of the deadwood. You built the culture. Guys believe in that culture. To the front office's credit, you went and got good players to plug holes, um, which they've not done in the past. So, again, that's a change of philosophy in the front office, and that philosophy changed work. But the mea culpa to Zach Taylor because, hey, I was wrong. I mean, I it looked like I was a genius when the 625-1, and one, and the fact of who is this guy, and he was a failure at UC. Yeah, mea culpa, man. Congratulations to you. To take that one step farther – the Brown family, Duke Tobin, they were patient with Zach Taylor. Yeah. They thought they had the right guy. They didn't waver after the the six wins over two years. I mean, it was it was hard to think that this team was moving down the right path after the end of last year. No question. I mean, and, he was clearly on the hot seat, Rick, no doubt. And you've and, got and, Joe and remember Burrow the, coming off a torn up knee, and you don't want to waste any more time if that's not the right guy. That's right. I mean, it was a very real decision that you yes. had to con- at least consider, and they really never seemed like they did. They were very confident in Zach Taylor. Yeah, no, I, I, you're right. I mean, because if you got it wrong again this year, and, and again, we're talking wrong. We're not talking, hey, 7-10 and 10 would have been a hell of a step, right, of, ooh, looks like they're getting closer. Now let's yes. give us another offseason. Um but if they had gotten completely wrong for a second straight year under Joe, it's suddenly now you're like going into year three, we're winding down this rookie contract. We better figure out somebody else to make this right. And they could have done that. They easily could have done that. And they swallowed hard, which to their detriment at times they've done. And you're like, yeah, you took too long. But maybe, and I go back to this because you never know who the decision makers are, right? Right. Maybe Mike Brown just said, you guys hired the guy. 
You guys stick by the guy. I'm giving you one more year. Because I asked Mike, I remember at the media luncheon, um, I said, is there a number of wins that you have in mind that he has to have to retain his job? And he says, nope, we just need to win. Which sounds like BS, right? I mean, what, what does that even mean? But I thought, okay, I get you don't have a number in mind, but it was almost clear like, we need to win. It didn't have to, that's again, you don't know what the number was. Was it five? Was it six? Was it seven? Was it nine? Was it playoffs? I, I honestly still don't know what that number was. But when Mike said that, I went, all right, there's obviously a little hot seat here now for the guy because it was, we need to win. And yet they stuck with him. And so whoever made the decision to do that or, just, or whoever was all in the decision, good for you because the guy found a way to get this thing turned around. And that was in the face of a lot of stuff, bro. I mean, it was media on his ass. It was, you know, some veterans on his ass that he got rid of and said, hey, see you later. You guys are Deadwood to us. Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, A.J. Green. You guys, you're you're the old guard. See ya. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of things that they did where you're like, there's some risks here, and all of them paid off. I have no problem admitting that I doubted. Zach Taylor, and I did and it was not fair, think it was going to work was, out at times. I mean, there was nothing in his track record that suggested greatness. And, and that's I, where you go back to the whole, there's no perfect way to pick an NFL coach at the end of the day. There really isn't. And by the way, there are still times, and I believe this to this day, there are still times earlier in this year where right. I'm not sure that he was doing a great job as the play caller. No, right. I'm still not 100% sure of that. I think he has grown into the role, but the one thing that I do think he always understood and he got right is connecting with the players, yep. building a locker room that, you know, all that culture BS that I don't want to hear about when you've won six games and two no, seasons. No, that's right. It does matter when you're winning. And yes. he got it right. I mean, he got the right players in there. He brought guys in from other winning teams that understood what it took. And it seems like they have a, a really good thing going on. And and uh, kudos to him for putting all that together. Yeah, and I, I think that's the other part that, that shouldn't be discounted by any stretch. I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about the whole change in philosophy and the draft. And they've gotten the last few drafts right, too. I mean, they really have. Some of it's luck, right? I mean, hard to mess up Joe Burrow in theory. But listen, not every number one overall quarterback makes it to a Super Bowl. Um, that's actually a fairly rare thing. So, I mean, uh, you know. Yeah, but look at the rest of that draft. Right, right, right. No, right. Logan Logan Wilson. Wilson. Right. Akeem Davis Gaither. Khaled Kareem, Hakeem Adeniji, Marcus Bailey. Right. All of those guys have contributed. Every single one of them. Yeah, no, no question. And this year you get the Jamar Chase draft, right? I mean, you know, you, you can either go back to his first draft in 2019. He's not been great always. But Jonah Williams is a definitive offensive line piece, whether it's left tackle moving forward or right tackle. I mean, he's definitively a starting NFL offensive lineman, which is more than you can be said about Cedric Wayhe, for goodness sakes. So they got the draft right, too. So there's all those things that that have come together for them, and Zach Taylor was a big part of that. And he had to you know, reshuffle a roster that was aging and bad. I mean, it was, that was a bad roster he inherited. And yet, you know, to some degree, it, it, you know, it's easy to point and go, well, you're bad, and um, the roster is not your, you know, is, is, is shame on you because it's not, not your issue, but uh, we don't care. We want you to win. And two and 14 is ugly. And four, 11 and one is ugly. Um, and he stuck to whatever plan he had. And I go back to, again, the, the whole philosophy shift in the front office of saying, you know what, we're going to get guys. And when they went and got guys, it seemed like there was a plan there too, Rick, of I'm going to get guys that have been to playoffs. 
I was not a big fan of the DJ Reader signing for the money. And I'll again, I'm listen, I, I will crow to the crows come home where I'm right, but I will also tell you when I was wrong. I didn't think that was a great signing. I thought the money was too much. Not that the player wasn't a good player, but that the money was too much. And so that was great. And then there was the whole argument this offseason of, oh gosh, how could you let um let uh, Carl Lawson go and all his pressures and all that nonsense and all Trey Hendrickson is is a product of New Orleans. How's that worked out, buddy? That's worked out pretty well, right? I mean, really the only failure they've had the last two years in free agency, and it wasn't a failure really at the time of the signing, it just hasn't worked out well, was Trey Waynes. Von Bell, winner, has made winning plays. Didn't have a great year last year, but makes winning plays. Mike Hilton, my God, winner. Um, Chidobe Awuzie, I didn't realize how good that cat was as a cornerback. Um, Larry Ogunjobi, until he got hurt, what a difference he made on the interior with him and DJ Reader. So all these moves, Riley Reef before he got hurt, was, I think, really good at right time. Not great, but really good. So look at all the moves they made that made this football team better in such a short period of time. Well, spending money makes a big difference. It We've does, always known that. But you got to spend it wisely. Smart, yeah, spending right. it smart is really the key there. And the great thing is they have a lot more money to spend right? this coming offseason. I mean, they are, they are in a great position because of the age of all of their stars. They're so right. young that they have these guys on rookie deals and they have some money to work with and they can be flexible here this offseason when they attack the free agency market. So the great thing about that is we don't even have to talk about it yet because they still have another game coming up in a few weeks here. They're going to be played in the Super Bowl, which is still just crazy, really hard to believe. It is. It really and truly is. Um So enjoy this for the next couple of weeks, Cincinnati, and we'll see where things go uh, then. Anything else, Rick? Uh, that's all I got. All right, great stuff. Um, a reminder, we'll be back with our Potpourri podcast in the middle of the week. We will not have a Bengals podcast, obviously, next week, and we'll have one uh, following the Super Bowl at some point. It'll probably be 3 o'clock in the morning when all is said and done, but we'll have one at some point after the Super Bowl. Um, so hopefully you will join us then. So join us for our midweek podcast, uh, but we will not have a Bengals podcast, obviously, next week with, with no game. So we get a chance to take a, a podcast week off for that. Yeah. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals post-game edition, heading to the Super Bowl, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.